This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. So today, we have Steve Thompson, who's going to talk to us about uh, Bitcoins and blockchain chain, okay? If you haven't heard about it, it's really interesting. Right, so thank you all for coming. I'd just like to kick off by making a sort of a super poll. Uh, who uh, in this room has, has, heard, has heard of Bitcoin? Okay, right, that, uh, who has actually actually used Bitcoin in a, uh, in a transaction? <laughs> oh, I got you that time. <laughs> and uh, who has heard of the, of the blockchain? Right, okay, so uh, ho- yes, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully in this talk I'll uh, I'll help to fill in a few uh, a few gaps because uh, it's uh, it's a massive subject and it's uh, constantly moving. So I'm going to talk about what Bitcoin is and uh, and uh, and how it works. I'll also give a few um, a, a, a few a few little facts about Bitcoin and uh, essentially who 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 does what because there are humans involved in this uh, in this thing. And um, I'm going to compare Bitcoin with banks and also currencies, just to uh, 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 so just to give you a signpost uh, into how Bitcoin fits, how Bitcoin fits into the system. And then um, I will go on to talk about the bit. Uh, uh, I'll go on to talk about the blockchain itself, uh, because uh, because the blockchain is the uh, uh, is the network that powers. Uh, uh, that powers Bitcoin, but um, I'll go into more details about about that in this talk, and then I'll say who uses it now, and um, and a few comments uh, uh, about uh, about just what the future holds. So I'll just start off by giving, I suppose, a bit of an auto an, an autobiography of how I myself got into Bitcoin in in the first place. I I first heard about Bitcoin in the spring of 2013. And uh, a few weeks later, uh, a few weeks later, I went on to, to purchase my first couple of bitcoins. And um, I have to say, the whole the whole subject um, it, it really, really did arouse my curiosity. Uh, I knew about the about about the problems with the banking system, and uh, and so this whole bitcoin space, it's um, it's I felt that it had a great uh, a great deal of potential, but. Um, I, but even back then, I knew that there was so much to learn about it, and um, it did uh, strike me that I could, I could just make, I could just make a little personal fortune out of Bitcoin if I got in at the at the right time, because um, at, at the time I got in to Bitcoin, uh, it was uh, the Bitcoin price was one hundred and twenty dollars, um, one hundred and twenty dollars per Bitcoin. But, uh, I'll, but I'll show you shortly how, um, just how fast the, the prices has been moving, even before I came in and even afterwards. And so it's sort of that. So that was my pull into Bitcoin, but it's also been a push away from the banking system because I, I, I was I, I, at the time I was also trying to find I was trying to find a savings account that could 
uh, OH could pay me a decent interest rate. And, uh, as, and as we all know, uh, the interest rates have been trending to almost zero. Uh, so it's been very difficult to find uh, a savings account. So that was my push away from the banking system. And, uh, here, and here in Vancouver, I've got into contact with uh, a, very good, a very good community that, uh, that is looking into Bitcoin. And it's, and it's also interested in various other, uh, in various other, uh, in various other, other topics around it. So before I talk about Bitcoin itself, I think it's helpful to, it's helpful to talk about the about the internet itself because if it wasn't for the internet, this Bitcoin currency, uh, uh, it would not exist. So I uh, said, uh, so my reading of the internet is that it's. It's a vast platform of digital artifacts of um, varying types of value. It's got the little things like the um, it's got the little things like the YouTube and trolls uh, and such like. <clears throat> but it's um, it's all but it also houses vast also houses vast delivery platforms like supply chains, and also libraries use the internet as well. And it's brought a new kind, a new kind of delivery system called it just in time. All right, so in that context, I'll just go just go on to define what Bitcoin is. It's a, it, it's a cryptocurrency, and that means it's an encrypted it, it's an encrypted money platform that's set across the globe. And uh, there's a there's a Bitcoin entrepreneur um, uh, by the name of Andreas Antonopoulos. Who has uh, conceived of this idea of the Internet of Money? And now you may have heard of the of the the Internet of Things, the, uh, this this new generation of devices that the, the new generation of devices that connect with the internet. Well, the uh, well, this Bitcoin has been termed as the Internet of Money, and it can it can send and receive value, uh, just like an email. So it's <clears throat> it's part of a vast messaging system. It's uh, an, another vital component of Bitcoin is, it, is, is that it's decentralized, <clears throat> and that means it, it and it's, um, it's it's also not under patent either. So uh, nobody owns it, and so this means that um, so this means this means this means that, that there are no intermediaries like uh, any kind of bank or. Uh, uh, or the money changing companies like Western Union, uh, who charge uh, high fees for currency conversion. But one, but one point I'd like to make about Bitcoin is that, um, is that it reconnects currency, reconnects currency um, with production. And what I mean by that is in, is in, is in comparison, in comparison as with the way in which uh, in which national currencies are created, in that. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you've heard of the trend of money printing uh, and quantitative easing. Uh, uh, a lot of these national currencies are created just uh, just literally as control P in print. <clears throat> it's, uh, the currency is now being used as a as a means to bail out banks or, or to prop up the stock market. So it's lost its connection its connection as with hard assets. So the thing with Bitcoin, and I'll illustrate this soon, is that Bitcoins are created as a result of uh, as a result of the efforts of the miners 
uh, another group of people who are who are we're talking about soon who who uh, who actually mine the mine these bitcoins, and so bitcoin is so uh, and and the miners get over and the miners get a reward as for the mining. So I um, said so the thing with bitcoin is that uh, it. it, it it, it is rewarded into existence, and uh, this follows through on uh, on on the supply of bitcoins, in which uh, in which there's a finite supply. The uh, uh, it, it has a cap of 21 million bitcoins. That's the, that's the maximum number that can exist, uh, and so far three quarters of them have been mined. And it's uh, projected that that the last bitcoin is going to be created in 2044. <clears throat> so I wonder how cool would be around to see it. So on the, so on definitions about um, about what Bitcoin is. Uh, uh, so this system is based on a consensus system about uh, on the integrity of transactions. But it's a shame that various it's a shame that there's no consensus among countries uh, about about just what this is. So, uh, our, uh, so here in Canada, it's termed as a virtual currency, and uh, there's an, an oblique reference to it in British Columbia that uh, has defined Bitcoin. Uh, well, it doesn't define Bitcoin directly, but it refers to in, intangible assets. <clears throat> and uh, and if you go onto the Personal Property Security Act, you'll see a reference to intangible assets. Uh, in, the, in my own country, the UK, and Australia, and Norway. It's termed as property. Hong Kong uh, has defined it as a virtual currency, and Russia has defined it as a foreign currency. Now, if you were to ask an official in uh, in the U.S., you'll have to choose your uh, uh, so you'll have to choose your agency uh, because whichever way you go, um, uh, so you always find a different kind of definition. <clears throat> so it ranges from and it ranges from a commodity. Through to property, and it's and, and also defined as a convertible decentralized virtual currency, which I'm sure makes things a lot clearer. <laughs> so, the, the thing that crossed my mind at the time when I bought my first bitcoins is what well, is uh, is this thing going to be illegal soon? Uh, am I am I going to get my house raided at, at, at some point? At the moment, at the moment, so far, so good. Uh, in Canada, it's um, uh, and it's regulated under the area of tax reporting, and both my country and in the U and in the United States, it's uh, unregulated. Now, um, the thing with China and Russia is that, is that their positions are very interesting. In that, um, in China, and, in, and it, it's perfectly fine for an individual to hold bitcoins, but uh, and also trade them, but not financial firms for for some reason. And in Russia, it's although it's illegal to hold and trade those bitcoins domestically, it's perfect, perfectly legal to to hold and trade them internationally. So it seems that there's a notion of there's a notion of authority over these bitcoins in both China and Russia, but it looks as though those two countries have have enabled a workaround. So how would you go about purchasing these bitcoins, and what uh, uh, what actually happens? Well, I just refer you back to my own my own personal experience with them. The first port of call, uh, the, uh, 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 the first point at which you get 
um, in which you come across bitcoins are, are, are through are through these websites called called exchanges, <clears throat> and uh, this is and this is where you go to purchase your bitcoins. But it's also at this stage where you go through the uh, the uh, so where you go through all the know your customer provisions. So I had to upload um, a digital photograph of myself. I had to uh, upload um, I had to upload a government issued ID. And I also had to upload a, a, a recent utilities bill, or anything that could, or or or, or anything, or or any other sheet which displayed my home address. So it's got those three elements to it. Now there are various options in which you can hold bitcoins. You can, uh, uh, and in fact, you can just leave them uh, on the on the exchange itself and treat it like uh, almost like having a bank account. Uh, but the thing which attracted me a lot about Bitcoin is that it's possible to hold them, hold them directly, so, and this is where the wallet comes in. Uh, so this wallet is, again, it's a digital artifact which sits on, on your computer, and uh, and you, and it can hold and it can hold these bitcoins. So you, you can either hold them online on a computer that connects to the internet, or you can hold them onto a computer that doesn't connect to the internet. A whole, a, a whole range of options. You can also take them away from the digital area completely and hold them as a paper wallet, in which you get, uh, in which you print out a, so these paper wallets are a 16, oh, it's a 32-digit code, uh, which you can print out and then type back into your computer if ever you want to access those bitcoins. So this is getting into the area of cold storage. Now, if you're if you're really paranoid, as you can hold them away from any kind of physical object uh, at all. Uh, uh, so you can keep them as a set of keywords, which you would keep. Uh, in fact, you would, you would, in fact you would literally just memorize them. It's called a brain wallet. So the thing which I want to mention about the transactions themselves is that. Um, is that the tra these transactions get broadcast onto the blockchain, and they, all all of these transactions are completely visible to the public, and they don't require you to upload your identity. So, as, uh, so as, just once you're in the Bitcoin space, it's uh, there's no further need for you to to, uh, to declare who you are, uh, because from that point on, it, it, your identity is expressed only as a Bitcoin address. Which is a 16-digit alphanumeric code, and uh, the network is entirely encrypted, and so there's there's a much reduced risk uh, of identity theft, uh, much much less so than holding it under a, in a bank. So a bit of history, uh, just briefly a bit of history. Uh, like this Bitcoin has existed since 2009, and uh, and the and, and so has the blockchain network. And it's uh, it, and it's had no, it's I mean, it, and it's, had, um, it's not been hacked into yet, but it's only had one instance of, of downtime, and that was in 2010 for a couple of hours. But but apart from that, uh, in the in the blockchain's eight eight year history, it's turned out to be very resilient. <clears throat> but there have been a lot of attempts to hack into this blockchain. <laughs> In, including an agent from the National Security Agency in the US. He had a go, but uh, he couldn't get in. There's a lot of mystery surrounding Bitcoin in, uh, in, in who had actually conceived of, of the network in the first place. 
There's a guy called Satoshi Nakamoto, and there's even some speculation about if this is an actual person, if it, if it, if it was a group of people, maybe. But all we know is that he authored a white paper in 2009 about Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer as -peer electronic cash system. And it's been, in, at first glance, it looks like another currency, but uh, after reading the white paper, you come to realize that it's, it's, it operates more like a network. So just a word on how the price has, uh, has behaved. It's started from literally zero. Yeah, I, I'm quite glad the chart has opened up. So I'll just show you the, I'll just, I, I'm gonna just show you the numbers. Uh, as we start from zero here, and the chart goes up to $1,200. Uh, and this chart begins at the beginning of 2013. But, uh, and so, uh, in 2000, so in 2009, it, it, it began as a, a tiny fraction of a cent. Um, it, it was 0.0001. Uh, so that was the amount of cents it required to purchase a Bitcoin uh, at, those, at those early stages. But ever since then, the price has grown uh, incredibly in such a short space of time. So in, in April 2013, at the time when I came in, it, 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 it already had already grown to $120 per Bitcoin. But then in the fall of 2013, and in fact the fun really started, um, for some reason or, uh, or another, the price had, uh, had shot up to $1,200 per Bitcoin. And uh, I I remember feeling quite panicky about that because I thought to myself, you know, anytime soon this Bitcoin is going to become illegal. It's, it has to be shut down, surely. But, uh, but in the end, of the, um, it's turned out to be a bit of an anti-climax because after, two, after 2014, it, uh, 2014, the price fell again. We also got the failure of a large Bitcoin exchange called Mt. Gox. <clears throat> it was uh, at until the end of 2013, it was the only—it was pretty much the only place where you could purchase bitcoins, uh, apart from a apart from a couple of other exchanges. But uh, and, and we saw, so we saw the failure of Mt. Gox at around that time, and after that, the price began to fall down. But it's but uh, I'll just go on to this. So so on to this two, 2013 to, to 2015 period. It's actually been a period of consolidation. Because back in, at the end of 2013, there were only 4,000 vendors which actually had, actually offered services in Bitcoin. There was WordPress and 4chan, a blogging site, and I think 4chan is a, some kind of social media site. But apart from that, there were no household names involved in Bitcoin. But by 2015, uh, over, there are over 100,000 organizations which offer some kind of payment or, or another in Bitcoin or other services. Uh, so, you have, uh, so you have organizations like um, Expedia, Greenpeace, and uh, even Microsoft have, uh, offered have offered services in Bitcoin. So I'll just, just run a comparison in between uh, Bitcoin and the banking system. <clears throat> the thing with Bitcoin is, it, um, is that it's a decentralized, uh, decentralized system. That's one, that's one of the core 
core characteristics uh, of Bitcoin. Uh, now, compared with the banking system, the uh, the banking system is a centralized system, and, it, the, uh, and it's run from an, from another uh, another messaging center, a bit a bit like with blockchain, uh, Swift, <clears throat> and uh, this is the Society for the the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. So it's <clears throat> so again, it's uh, uh, it reports on. All of the financial tracks and all of the financial transactions made in the in the banking system, and just to take out um, just to take an example of one of the major payment systems on uh, um, Visa, it runs forty five thousand transactions per second, and uh, this is compared with Bitcoin, uh, which measures in at seven transactions per second. But uh, it's a very uh, but Visa operates under the advantage that a lot of these transactions are in fact on credit cards. There's no credit issues uh, in Bitcoin. But, um, but on those transactions, it's, uh, the clearance is much faster, much faster than, on, than, on, than on the standard payment systems. Uh, a transaction is cleared in minutes, uh, as, whereas in, as whereas on Visa, if you were to buy something on a Thursday, um, it would not necessarily appear on your bank account until the following, uh, on the Monday morning. <clears throat> so, the, uh, and so the transaction clearance takes a lot longer. And um, the, total, the, and the total assets which Visa holds is, is approaching $200 billion. So this is compared with Bitcoin's um, total assets, uh, which measure up at $10, at $10 billion. Now this sounds very modest at first, but this time last year, the total total value of assets denominated in Bitcoin was only 3.6 billion. So it's grown by three times in in just one year. Another difference is that you can, is that with Bitcoin you can hold your wallet uh, directly, and in fact you can um, literally operate as your own central bank, as they say. As whereas with a bank account, um, the, the bank actually owns the money in your account. It owns them on the on the liability side of of, of the bank's balance sheet. Also, in the banking system, as I'm sure you're aware by now, on the standard checking accounts, you can um, expect various types of fees. You, um, in fact, you pay a fee for exceeding a, a certain amount of transactions in a given month, or if your balance goes down uh, under a certain threshold. But in fact, that doesn't happen under Bitcoin. And in fact, although there are transaction fees, they are very tiny. So I just broaden. So I've been flying at about five thousand feet here. So I'm just going to go. Just going to go. Just going to go up a bit to fifty thousand feet, if you like. Uh, but the um, in fact, the world's GDP is approaching 110 trillion dollars. It's an it's an un, it's an unimaginable unimaginable amount. Uh, as whereas Bitcoin, it, it's complete uh, and it's completely dwarfed by the by the size of national currencies. But the thing with currencies is, is that there is now a, there is an infinite supply. So um, in Japan, for instance, they have quantitative easing to infinity. Uh, there's no limit to the uh, there's no limit to the quantity of yen that can uh, that can now be produced, and as, as I mentioned earlier earlier with Bitcoin, that there is a restricted supply, and that's based on a, 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 a diminishing reward that's paid 
uh, that's paid out to the miners. So in currency, that should be inflationary. It should lead to higher prices. It's certainly, an, in fact, quantitative easing has um, been termed as hypermonetary inflation. But we've not yet reached the hyperprice inflation yet. yet. In Bitcoin, the trend is deflationary. So on Bitcoin, given that there is a limit of the, of the number of Bitcoins which can exist, it means that supply has a much greater influence over the value of Bitcoin, a greater influence than supply has over, uh, over fiat currency. Uh, in, fact, nationally, in fact, almost all the national currencies are termed as fiat currency. In fact, the word fiat comes from the Latin term, it, it is done. So it's a, it's a set value. It refers to a set value. And, uh, and also national currencies are issued as debt. They are issued by private banks. Uh, as loans, and they can be issued by governments in the, for, in the form of sovereign bonds. The miners, so just going back to Bitcoin, the miners mine the blocks and receive the Bitcoins as a reward. <clears throat> and so it's issued as a result of computational effort on the part of these miners in their, in their efforts to mine the blocks, and then they get the reward in the form of Bitcoins. And uh, finally, on currencies, you only have your central bank's word on the currency's integrity. Uh, as whereas on Bitcoin, each transaction which is made on, in the Bitcoin space is, uh, is authenticated by thousands of users around the world. <laughs> so I, I've, I've talked a few times about, about mining. So I, I just uh, do a bit of a show and tell of a couple of mining rigs. Is essentially a very, um, essentially a very powerful computer. You have all these graphics cards um, stacked against each other, a good number of fans and power supplies as well. So I don't know how much electricity uh, uh, this mining rig is going, um, is going to generate. But the, but the idea is that, um, is that the value of the Bitcoin actually exceeds the cost of the energy. But I just compare it, just compare this uh, this uh, homemade homemade mining rig, and with this beast. <clears throat> this is from uh, a facility in China, and, uh, and these are rows upon rows of machines, and these are all mining these Bitcoins. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, in, fact, at, in fact, at the moment, the vast majority of Bitcoins which are being, and in fact, the vast majority of the blocks which are being mined, in which, in which Bitcoins are rewarded, are in fact coming out of China. <clears throat> uh, the second biggest supply of Bitcoins is coming from the United States, but it's a very, very distant second. It's almost as though the Chinese are cornering Bitcoin. So finally, um, I, I, I just go on to talk about the, about, um, about the network. And uh, this is the Bitcoin blockchain. This is the name of the network which powers Bitcoin, the, the currency. <clears throat> it's a, it's several things. It uh, operates as a decentralized protocol. It's a platform of trust. It's a network, uh, and an authentication system, and it's uh, and also a publicly accessible encrypted ledger. <clears throat> and it's uh, and the big and and this blockchain is a database. It's uh, at the moment the size is eighty gigs. And it's distributed across thousands of computers around the world. So, and 
So I think the best, de best definition of the blockchain which I've come across so far comes from, uh, the, uh, comes from the chief executive of Digital Asset Holdings. It's a consultancy which uh, advises banks about, um, about the blockchain and how, how they might create their own, um, um, how, how they might create, the, create their, own, their own versions of the blockchain. And she's quoted as saying that the blockchain itself is a shared and replicated source of the same information that stays the same at all points in time. <clears throat> so it's, and it's based on the direct ownership of an asset, <clears throat> and it's also open source, which means that you can, which means that anyone can view the code. And it's, it's, also, it's also led to a great deal, great deal of innovation as well, in that, uh, a lot of mobile apps have been developed which uh, enable the buying and, and also transmission of, block, uh, of bitcoins. It's, per, it's permissionless and trustless. Now, I just want to explain what trustless means. It doesn't mean untrustworthy. It, uh, means, that, it means that this network doesn't require, doesn't require verification from any kind of centralized authority. So, I'll just go very briefly about 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 the way about the way the blockchain works. <clears throat> it sort of runs on two kind of levels by the individual transaction and all, and uh, and also the record of a set of transactions which are are, are, are compressed into a series of blocks. So at the tra the transaction level, um, as both the miners and the network as are able to establish proof that the, the transaction had completed. Each transaction is also given a time-stamped hash, uh, time hash value, and that's broadcast to the database. Uh, but the way in which it works, uh, but the way in which it becomes a, a database, which makes sense to people, is that <clears throat> is that uh, every twenty minutes, every twenty minutes, the miners create. Um, uh, the miners create these blocks um, of one meg's worth of transactions, <clears throat> also also timestamped. But each of them are given, uh, uh, each of them are given two identifiers. Uh, uh, so these identifiers are are, are also known as hash values. <clears throat> uh, so a, a new block takes the hash value of the um, of the preceding block. And then it's given a second hash value, uh, uh, a second hash value, and that's entirely new. And so that second hash value is then transferred to the following block. So you've got this daisy chain uh, uh, of clusters of transactions, and that's how they get the name of the blockchain. And this makes the blockchain very difficult to alter, as without in uh, uh, as without invalidating any newly created blocks. Now, among all the hype and the euphoria that took place uh, in uh, took place from 2013 to 2015, uh, as we let ourselves think that, that the blockchain was uh, immutable, that, that it couldn't be altered, but uh, over the last year or so, it has been proved that it can be altered, but uh, under very controlled circumstances. So I'll just run just run very quickly on who all the who all these people are and. Uh, <clears throat> Because, because I've mentioned, <coughs> I, I've mentioned the miners and the and, and the exchanges in, in passing, but um, 
So here, so here they are in more detail. Uh, so I'm just going to start from just going to start right from the supply end and working our way down to to the kind of things that the kind of things kind of things that we see. So there is a set of developers called Bitcoin Core. <clears throat> uh, it's a large open source uh, open source community that uh, that ensures that the uh, ensures that the, that the blockchain is working properly and checks the integrity of the blocks. You have the miners, which are, which actually create the blocks. <clears throat> so they so they mine them by means of solving uh, by uh, solve them by these mathematical problems, which take a certain amount of computational effort. And they validate each transaction and enter it into um, into the network uh, uh, in these batches known as blocks. <clears throat> Uh, the, it's a kind of uh, works in the form of, sa um, of safety in numbers. In that, the more miners there are, and in fact, the more secure, the more secure this network becomes. <clears throat> and uh, there are there, there are various there are various computers which um, also go on, also go on to broadcast to go on, uh, to go on to broadcast these transactions, and these are known, are known as the nodes. We also have these Bitcoin exchanges, which is the uh, uh, are these online these online marketplaces where you can purchase bitcoins and uh, and you can also you can also sell them. <clears throat> now, this blockchain has has it's also created a large new service class consisting of startups and third parties, and they've all they've all set up to carry out some kind of service based on the blockchain. So you have uh, 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 there are hundreds of these uh, of these uh, startups, which <clears throat> so it's and uh, the, and and the number is growing uh, uh, and it's constantly growing. And finally, we have us, or uh, we, we, we have us, uh, and it's those people who who, who use who use the network. So I mentioned a, a wide range of use cases, and it, I mean, it runs from the area of microfinance uh, and, uh, and, uh, and remittances, which is very useful for people who, uh, who either live or work abroad. Uh, all, these, um, all these use cases have been based on the blockchain. So, it's, so it can be either Bitcoin, but not always. Uh, and, uh, and one good example of that, of this non-Bitcoin use, yeah, in fact, one very good example of um, of a blockchain-based service that did not use the, I mean, did not use Bitcoin is the uh, um, is the case of Honduras on its land registry. It broadcasts all of its transactions kind of, uh, as a kind of an experiment onto uh, onto the blockchain. But that particular enterprise it ran for a few um, a few months, but was abandoned. Also in Australia, uh, the country is researching into putting the stock market on, onto the blockchain. Now, it may sound like a tall, a tall task, but uh, in Australia, their stock market is entirely digital. Uh, so it, um, it wouldn't be as much, of a, as much of a long shot as, say, if the, um, if the United States or the UK uh, had tried to put their stock markets onto the blockchain. And, uh, they, and then you have other sectors such as insurance claims, energy grid management, also legal services and copyright, uh, all things which involve the transfer of digital value. So our, 
uh, are possible candidates for um, entry onto the blockchain. So, a few words about the future. I'm optimistic about the future. I think it, I think it's very exciting. It's um, generating a lot of innovation, and some vendors have come forward and experimented with it. Uh, and in fact, some exper um, experiments have succeeded; other experiments uh, have not been so successful. But um, I think the sum, I think the sum total is, is that all of us are learning, and that these ideas can only get stronger. I think, uh, in terms of mass adoption, I think it'll be a combination of a new, a new generation of, mo of mobile apps uh, in which they can bring a human face to the Bitcoin currency. It's also, it's also very possible to have a, to have a retail, a retail a network, and in fact, delivered on the blockchain. And, and, and also the, in the area of micropayments. And, and in fact, an interesting property about Bitcoin is that it's completely divisible. So it's possible to pay for something at a, a thousandth or a millionth of, of a Bitcoin. And then so, that, um, so if you were to go onto your Netflix, if Netflix were ever, ever to experiment as with the blockchain, they could sell they could sell a few seconds of content. But I think um, I think most of it is going to is um, is going to rely on public recognition uh, of Bitcoin. Uh, it's sort of um, it can be. I imagine quite a few people. I imagine they'll have some some expectation of what Bitcoin should be, and will um, will compare it against national currencies. It won't have any any uh, elite spaces on it. Let's put it that way. So that's the end of my talk. And uh, here are some sources if you're if you're interested.